Okay, so I've started recording, so. Um, so I'm yeah, here. Are you hearing me clear enough? Sorry? Are you hearing me clear Yeah, I can hear you. Um, it's, it can get a little fuzzy at times, but mostly I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm here with Dr. Dietra Sanders. Hi, Dr. Sanders. Hi. Hi. Uh, would you like to just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do? Okay. Sure. Um, so, I'm a doctor of Um I got to this through um, an undergraduate degree in biology and physical major, and then took a year off and decided for sure that I wanted to commit to optometry, and I decided I did. And... I really went into it because I was um, interested in helping to helping children in school. So since 30% of our learning is through vision, I wanted to do it in a medical way, but mainly to help with academics. Um, the reason for that was because being African-American, I grew up hearing statistics that always sort of implied that people of color were less intelligent, less able to succeed in school. And I thought to myself, given the family that I had, and I had a huge family, um, mostly very successful, it didn't ring well with me. And I thought, okay, well, if there is a disparity, it must have something also to do with health and things like that. So um, I learned the right profession because that definitely impacts our vision, definitely impacts how well we learn. And so I've been practicing since 1990. Um, I've practiced in group practices with ophthalmologists. I've practiced in solo practices where I was filling in for doctors who wanted a day off a week or two. Um, so I've gone through a gamut of different types of practices. I've practiced with not large groups, but also just myself and, and the owner side by side as well. So different areas of practice and learned a lot about not just patient care, but business, um, and always observed, even though I didn't plan on going into my own business, I always observed what I thought were good practices and, and not. Um, I always observed, I'd be the one that people come to complain about the doctor that was in charge because they thought they could trust me and I could help them. So I, I also learned what types of things bother explain. Uh, with, you know, the kind of their attitude versus the attitude of the person might be um, the doctor or the owner. Um, and then when I had an opportunity to and was led to open up my own practice, then I brought all of that with me, and I've been practicing solo for about five and a half years, and I love it. Um, so what I love most about it, um, aside from patient care, is... Um, is being able to test the environment. Um, once often, a lot of times when I would practice in places, I didn't like the environment in terms of quantification. I thought that it was sensitive and um, kind of like a meat market. Even if it wasn't a lot of people there at one time, the attitude behind the closed doors needed to be more, let's get those patients and let's get those patients through. And the patients could feel that they were sensitive enough. So I wanted to have a practice with more, more spotlight, more like patients feeling like they were being cared for from the time they walked in to the time they left. And a place where people who work there felt like they were making a difference in people's lives and they felt like they were listened to. 
they felt like they were committed also to caring for people in um, in a loving but a godly loving way from the time they were coming to the country. So that's um, how I met Prakati because she was one of the um, people that I hired who was a patient. I, I was um, impressed by her demeanor and the way she cared herself and then asked her if she'd be looking if she would be interested in applying for a job. So that's how we met. Yes, and that was a long time ago already. Um, so, obviously, the biggest topic right now is the effect of COVID-19 on healthcare profession on everyone, but um, obviously on healthcare professionals because they're on the front line of this. So you, like you mentioned, you now own your own practice. So what was your thought process like when you realized, you know, that this was something that was, it was, uh, it was big, it was going to last for a long time, and potentially you would have to close, you know, close the office for some time and stop seeing patients. What was your thought process at that time? Um. I'm trying to think back to that time. Uh, so long ago. So I was just coming back to the case. So I was within So I was just coming back into people realizing that it was serious. Um, and so the staff had been in such a few miles away for various reasons, including that. But I had told them, you know, told off my back to this. They were getting patients in the office on the most part anyway, so it wasn't any different than what they did. When I got back, I was really very surprised at how desolate things were. Uh, we were booked and we saw patients, but I was also just surprised at how um, you could have felt people, you know, it was almost like coming back to a little bit of a ghost town in terms of in general. Um, people were just starting to consider locking down, but they were headed to like that. So I remember when I made the decision, it was based on the news, based on scientific data that our governors were kind enough um, and bright enough to give us information on so that we could make this decision to attract its owners. Um, I, I got in contact with a couple of colleagues, some within my, within my profession and some that worked in hospitals as endocrinologists or um, neonatologists just to find out what hospitals were doing, because I figured whatever they were doing was what we should be doing. Um, so by the end of the first day, I had told, told the staff, look, cancel everyone, you know, we're tomorrow. We'll go, tomorrow we'll all come in for our last day in the office, and we'll work through, you got the cancel patients, I'll work through what we need to do to set this in motion and not leave our patients hanging for the things that they need. So the feeling was one of, um, okay, what are we doing to walk? Okay, and now okay, that you, you have um, reopened, what are the changes that you've made in the office, not just um, as, you know, a doctor interacting with patients, but also as an employer? Okay. Um, so now that you have uh, reopened, 
um, you've been reopened for some time. What are the changes that you have made in the office, both as a doctor interacting with patients and also as an employer? Can you repeat that, please? Yeah, sure. Um, so you have been reopened for some time now. Um, so what are some of the changes that you have made in the office as a doctor interacting with patients and also as an employer? Okay, so um, the changes are huge. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. The changes are huge. Um, so... We're seeing one, so I think about for what it would look like for our space. So because we have a small space, um, a small waiting area, um, each of our positions of testing are typically six feet apart, but six feet apart, um, and there's no way that people can, as you know, for nothing, that people can move about without breathing on each other, right? Coughing on each other. So the first thing was, what does it look like for my space? So I made a decision to not open until governor um, indicated that, that the science indicated that it would be harm it wouldn't be harmful to the people who opened and there were enough guidelines in turn and enough knowledge about the disease to allow us to make that good decision. So that was the first thing. How am I gonna determine when to open? And actually initially it was let's go for two weeks because we didn't really know. Um, and then it was Let's close for another month, and then it was. I'll let you guys know. <laughs> uh, but yes, but the first decision was, well, how long? Uh, no, like, so originally it was two weeks. Um, that that gave me the time to um, to listen to to read. Webinars started popping up like crazy in terms of educational webinars for doctors um, on what was going on and, and how to come back potentially to practice and, um, you know, at the very beginning, it was really more webinars of what, what, what they were finding out about the, about the, uh, the virus. Um, and then as it morphed on throughout the week, it was, what can we do, what's it going to look like when we open up? So given all the webinars that I watched, and I didn't just watch one source, I was listening to several sources. Um, insurance companies were offering them, malpractice insurance companies. Um, my association was offering them. Um, our electronic health record system was offering them. So there were so many sources to, to get to. So I would listen to those and started making notes and ended up coming up with the um, plans that we have, which is um, instead of seeing patients every 20 minutes, we see them every 45 minutes. We were never really big on double booking, but we did do it um, if it made sense. So if we could see a patient while another patient was being checked in, it was a quick check or something, then we would do that. That wasn't going to be able to happen anymore. Um, so one patient every 45 minutes, actually initially it was one patient every hour. We did that for two weeks. That was a little slow. Um, <laughs> but one patient every hour. Um, for me as an eye doctor, it's different because when I see the patient, I also see them because they have to dilate. The drops have to work, and then I have to see them back after they work. So I don't know any other doctor that I ever go to in sleep. I go to a lot for my health. I don't know a doctor that doesn't just see you and that's it. So it's very unique in that way. So the timing is a little a little um, sensitive. So we start off with every hour and we could see that patient. Um, everything would be wiped, wiped down after that patient left. Um, door knobs, handles, 
uh, well, they're not dry handled, um, any surfaces at all, um, and the chairs, everything. And then we wouldn't have to wipe down a lot in between. Um, and so we did that. We changed every 45 minutes, which at this point we're still at 45 minutes, and we do have to wipe down everything. So patient leaves to dilate, another patient ends up coming in, and so we do a lot more wiping down because we have to wipe down in between patients. Um, I also, we, we, um, I reorganized space in the office, so we took the waiting room out completely. Um, people sit either outside of the office, and since we're inside of Costco, that makes it nice. They can do the shopping if they want to, but they sit outside the office here at the six feet apart, or if they want to wait in their car until they truly call them, they can do that. Um, so there's no waiting room at all. So I moved one of the desks that was in the back was too close to the camera, which we take pictures with, so I moved that desk to the front, so that required rewiring of internet services and things in order to move all of that desk and computer to the front. Um, so we have no, we have one chair in the office that a patient can sit in while they're waiting, maybe because it's a mother or father or something like that. Um, but other than that, it's a patient care chair. Um, so we did that. We take temperatures um, when the patients come. We take temperatures, each other's temperatures in the morning, and we also take temperatures before the patient ever enters the state. We step out take temperature with the non-touch thermometer, which was very hard to get. It was like the day before we opened, I said, oh, my God, the thermometers didn't come. So I was kind of freaking out because we couldn't find one. So one of my employees has a baby, so she happened to have one like that. So she brought hers in until we were able to get our hands on the one that was supposed to be headed our way. Um, But there was a real shortage in, in even gloves, anything to open up. But thank God, a week after we closed, I started right away ordering gloves and masks, which were seeing that it was going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. I did have enough for that first week, but just not the thermometer. Um, so we, we, we take pictures. We all wear masks and gloves. Our patients wear masks, um, and we ask them to look for gloves. A lot of times they may not. Um, that's actually for their, if they don't want to wear gloves and they pick up something, then you know, there's not much I can do, but we wipe everything down. Um, we we also, um, you know, check with the questions that we need to ask them to make sure that they pass the screening when we when they make the appointment. Mm-hmm. When we confirm the appointment, we ask again, and then when they come to the door, we ask a third time. Um, okay. Uh, the thermometer is is interesting because by the time a person has a fever over 100, they should know that. And with this with this going on, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't, they cancel themselves out. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a little bit of a feel-good type of thing, but not something that really matters right. in the long run. Um, it's just but, one but, you know, symptom. We do that because, it, because we're told to do that. Right. Um, but yeah, so we do that. We I said I also wrote down all the measures that were taken so that patients could see, and my staff needed that too, but so they could see what was being done Mm -hmm. to keep them healthy. Um, I'm getting tested every two weeks just to make sure that I'm clear. I'm not requiring my staff to, um, because again, you're going to have some symptoms um, in, in, in the long run eventually, and if I'm clear, um, I'm comfortable with the fact that they're probably clear too. Um, so we're doing that, and I can send you a list of 
things that we're doing, which you, you may have anyway, but I'll, I'll send it to you so you can see because I can't think right off my head of other changes. But it's basically the, the safety, you know, the, the period of how often we see a patient, um, the craning in between, and the protective um, uh, gear that they and we need to wear. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, the, the temperature checks. Um, yeah, so that that's the, the, the changes we've made. Right. So, you know, you mentioned that, um, you know, your position is unique because you have to do dilation. So you actually see a patient twice. So you've gotten a lot of um, one-on-one time with your patients. But, you know, after this pandemic is over, you're likely to go back to your normal scheduling. So that that won't last. But do you think that there are some changes that you've made that might be more long-term than others? Yeah, it's actually an interesting question because actually the other thing that's unique about optometry is, and I guess dentistry is much like it, but even more so, is we have some of those for our patients without a mask because I'm looking at their eyes. Mm-hmm. So or because I'm using lenses, so I, there's two times when they have to pull down their mask. One is when I'm taking their prescription and the other one is when I'm using my instrument that allows me to see the back of the eye. And uh, they have to pull down the mask so that it doesn't fog up my lenses like they see. Mm-hmm. Um, in both case, in the second case, though, there is a barrier between myself and the patient, like a physical barrier. Um, but this this is not a mask. I can't even wear my mask fully at that time because I have a lens on my end and I have a lens on their end. Um, but what was the question again? I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all right. I, I just said, do you think that there are some changes that you've made in the office, whether it's with your patients or with your employers, that are likely to stay even after all of this is over and you go back to normal? Yeah, so I'm committed to saying this way through January. Um, I mean, not through December, rather. Um, for now, there may be changes that we that we that we make along the way. For instance, 45 minutes was a little bit long too. Like it's just there's a lot of downtime. Um, well, I shouldn't say a lot. My my staff would kill me. But there's <laughs> it's just not productive time. It's not useful because it's not good use of time in some cases. Um, the mask, I'm going to keep them going um, just because for me, I go, I get so close to the patient um, even to put on drops, to you know, put in drops. So, and the staff will probably do that as well. Um, and then, well, they'll do it as well. And then the gloves, we, I think we're going to keep that going as well because mm-hmm. it is a good idea. The skin holds on to a lot more germs than those gloves can just because the gloves are smooth and skin has a lot of crevices, nails, you know, cuticles, uh, all those types of things where germs can hide under. Mm-hmm. Um, to wash the gloves seems much more sanitary than to wash your hands. So we'll probably keep the gloves going as well. Um, the 45-minute intervals will probably have to change. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just looking at the finances today, and I probably need to change that. Mm-hmm. Um, we already have added on. We've had to, early on, we had to start adding emergency appointments, which are in a way double booked, but they can only come in the morning okay. and in the evening. That way, if it ends up in an emergency that in some way I think is tied into COVID, um, I can either, well, ideally I would not see them, honestly, or um, 
like close the office or it won't be open until the next day type thing. Um, okay. Haven't, we haven't run across that sort of thing. But we do have a lot of emergencies because people have been home hurting their eyes, um, you know, doing construction, getting things in their eyes that way, or, mm-hmm. you know, taking walks and having allergies come up, right. um, you know, infections. So things, we've had more emergencies than typical in addition to our diabetics and hypertensives that maybe haven't had a chance to really stay on their diets as well. Mm-hmm. So they have more secondary effects to their eyes with being. So we have usually one emergency at least per day, which is not always the way it was. Okay. So there in the morning and the evening, um, I'll keep that going just in the morning and the evening, um, taking a spot for those patients. Um, and, but I'm not going to continue to take temperatures once they think they don't have to because I just okay. feel like it's always. Okay. Um, you know, I don't think that it's, like I said, if you have a hundred temperature, I cannot imagine you would come into an office. So, right. Um, yeah. And but we'll keep it around in case we suspect, I guess, or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. So we'll keep the mask, gloves. Intervals will change, but they won't go. I don't think I'm going to go back to 20 minutes at all. Okay. Um, I have the liberty to do that. Um, I don't need to make a certain amount of money for the family to live off of. I'm not a single parent and my husband is a breadwinner, so I don't really need to um, make a lot of money. Okay. Um, our kids just finished college, so I don't need to make a lot of money. Right. So, um, you know, Imani's in medical school, but she's married. It's not really, uh, you know, her responsibility that she's taking care of. Mm-hmm. So I think I'll stay slower um, because I think it's more comfortable for patients, more comfortable for us. And I don't know if I want to go back to the hassle. Right. Of seeing, you know, so many patients in one day. Okay. And, you know, with everything going on, um, a lot of people are afraid to go to their appointments. They're afraid to seek medical care unless it's absolutely necessary. Um, I know a lot of people, they, they've been skipping on dentist appointments or their routine exams. So, you know, what's your advice um, to these people, what's your opinion on that mindset? Um, we have had a few people that did that with us. Even when I was home before I came back to the office and I was doing some telehealth, mm-hmm. um, I had a patient who really needed to go for more testing and just really would not. Um, and I just stayed in close contact to, I would call them every week. His wife would talk to me. Every, he would too, but his wife understood things better. So I would talk to her every week, um, making sure he was not getting worse. Um, and then ultimately was able to get him to go to Will Buy in Philadelphia. And mm-hmm. I've seen him in the office since then. He's going to try. So my, my hope, and maybe it can be accomplished through commercials or something, mm-hmm. is that people will at least call. Right. Yeah, you know, their doctors. As an eye doctor, one of the things that we're supposed to always be cognizant of is our ability to be that liaison between the patient and their um, PCP or their cardiologist um, or their endocrinologist in the sense that they may come but they can't see because right. they can't see. So they don't have a choice. But they may be ignoring other things that are going on in their body. So to be able to remind people and check on people has been something that I always do. Right. Like dealing with their fears if they have them, um, it's helpful. Because, you know, I told them, like, PCPs aren't even seeing patients in the office mostly anyway. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, if you just call your doctor, they're going to set up a telehealth appointment. They're not coming into the office. Even uh, even oncologists 
aren't coming into the office unless they have to. They're seeing a lot of telehealth. So um, patients don't understand. Sometimes all they need to know is that they just need to call their doctor uh, and open up the conversation and, and get that care remotely without even endangering themselves or others. Right. Yeah. Um, so just, you know, steering away from the pandemic in general, you mentioned that your decision to pursue this specific field stemmed from a personal interest in in the narrative around African-Americans and their education. And so what advice do you have to any other uh, student who is considering or pursuing, you know, the healthcare field and they don't really know exactly which specialty to choose or if they don't really know which direction they're going in? So, in my case, I knew that I would not be doing an, pursuing an MD. A mm-hmm. um, couple reasons for that. One is that I went into, I was raised in a white neighborhood, um, and our counselors um, did not expect African Americans or people of color to go to school, go mm-hmm. to college. Mm-hmm. So um, our education, the, the route that we were put in, you know, when you're in high school, you know, you're put into a particular route, you know, yeah. the ones who are sort of, and it used to be worse, vocational uh, versus four-year versus just finishing high school, but getting the full high school experience to pre-college. Mm-hmm. So if you were not, like, you were going to be sent to, um, within those days, it was really just Latino and black at, at in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were routed to vocational. But because my parents both were first-generation first um, college degrees, um, my father was in that school all they knew him. Okay, so they knew don't mess with the daughter for mm-hmm. going to college. Mm-hmm. So although that was the case in terms of um, them putting us in those courses, what my dad didn't know that there were still different levels of those courses. So I went into college unprepared, mm-hmm. um, and it showed academically. So... I knew at that point that what I thought, which is neurosurgeon, um, was not what was going to happen. Um, so GPA-wise, I wasn't going to get into medical school. But the other thing is, I didn't, I wanted more of a whole, I was a, I was always very homesick, always very faith-based in my, just who I am, how I am, how I'm wired. So I always was interested in not doing medicine in the sense of here's some rocks or here's some pills you can take, but more so, okay, what we can, what can we do to change your diet? What can we do to change your habits mm-hmm. to allow your body to function more normally on its own? So I also wasn't that interested. I was more interested in other allied medical programs, which I didn't know anything about any of this so I went to college. So I, um, I basically decided that, you know, um, I started looking at physical therapy. Um, at that time, you could get a holistic medical degree. Mm-hmm. I think you still can. Yeah. Um, and so, but some of the holistic medical degrees back 30-some-odd years ago would have been like 35, 38 years ago, was that you had to either leave the country or go to Arizona, either of which I wanted to do. Students mm-hmm. uh, didn't really travel like they do now, so right. it's kind of scary. I didn't want to do that. I started thinking physical therapy, which is what I had my concentration on and still on my mind or set on. And so one day I was walking to interrupt in this building 
and I saw a poster that was recruiting students for optometry school. Mm-hmm. So I went to the seminar, and one of the things the guys, the, the gentleman said at the seminar was regarding um, vision and how important it is for learning. And so I was like all ears at that point. And then he said, if you are particularly good at physics, then that this is also a good field to go into. And I was like so good at physics that I saw people in the final and still got a day. Like mm-hmm. it was just, I was, it was just really, I felt like this was like a calling, like this is what I could do. Mm-hmm. So that's, um, that's how that, so for me, it was, now, if you're going to medical school, then I think it's much more complex because it's like dentistry. When you get to dentistry school, you're going to be a dentist. You don't, that's what you're going to be. Right. You don't become a specialty dentist. You're a dentist. Mm-hmm. Um, optometry, you're optometry. Now, you might, in both cases, become more specialized in a certain area. Right. But bottom line is, you're, that's what your degree is. Mm-hmm. But medical school, you know, it's my order to through it all, so I know, I know even more than I did before, but you don't go in. You don't have to know what you're going to go in for. Just go in. If you know that's what you want to do, go in knowing that, you know, what that's what internships and rotations and your classes are partially about is to help you to figure out where your strength is and where your interest is. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time the undergrad, you'll go in thinking you want to do one thing, you come out thinking you want to do another. My daughter went in thinking OBGYN or PEDS. And once she got, it wasn't until this past year that she did an OBGYN rotation and she saw the hours that they have to keep. Um, and their hours are really ridiculous. And, you know, they're, <laughs> they're not, they're not just for someone who wants a family. Yeah. They're just usually going to be a single parent. Right. Um, and then also she realized they do a lot of surgery and she didn't realize that she never wanted to be a surgeon. Mm-hmm. So she looked into the malpractice, didn't like that either, looked into the amount that they got paid, said it's not worth it, you know, and so she decided on peace because she loved her peace rotation. There was really nothing she didn't like about it. Mm-hmm. Other than, again, yeah, pediatricians don't get paid well. They're nice. They take care of our babies mm-hmm. um, compared to other practitioners. So she liked cardiology. She didn't want to deal with illness all the time. Mm-hmm. So she decided that she'll do pediatric and then uh, eventually go for a fellowship in cardiology from a pediatric cardiologist. So that's what her thought is. Again, it's one or more. So just don't get stuck on one thing. Uh, right. Go in with an open mind to begin with so that when you hit a barrier that says, nope, that's not what I want to do. Oh, no, I, I don't, you know, you don't respond as, oh, no, I don't need to go to medical school. You just say, okay, well, what is there in medicine for this? so many things to do right. that I do like. What do I want to do? And what will suit the lifestyle that I picture for myself? Mm-hmm. Um, the other advice I would give a person is medical school scholarships are far and few in between. If you think that you're going to be able to get one, then talk to your counselor, look up things. Like It's, in, it's embedded in some of, the med school applications, some of the med school information. You won't see it pop out at you when you first go on the website. Mm-hmm. Um, you can talk to friends, network, and find out, okay, did you get a scholarship? What did you go to? Um, so, for instance, UCLA, they have a strong scholarship program. Um, so, you, you know, you want to think about that. When you choose which medical school you go to, think about price. Because, you know, for the amount that you pay for your education, uh, 
your salary doesn't really match that unless you're a surgeon, mm-hmm. right? So surgeons could make 5000 a pop on surgery, but not if you're not a surgeon. So you have to, you do want to think practically because you do want to think about paying off those loans. Right. Um, and so I would say think about the practically. And like I told my daughter when she was trying to decide based on finances whether she would go, I said, if you can't see yourself being happy doing anything else but taking care of patients, and you want to take care of them independently, not as a nurse practitioner or a PA, but independently, which means when you sign that script, that's it, then, mm-hmm. then it's worth it. But if there is some other area that you're interested in, don't let the quote-unquote proceed mm-hmm. of being a doctor be your motivation. Make right. sure that it's not. Right. Because... It's not prestigious. You know, there's other things that are just as prestigious. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that would be the advice. That's really good advice. And it's interesting that you mentioned your limited options for the holistic degree because now there there are a lot more more opportunities. And I think in general the popularity of holistic training or the holistic approach is also increasing. Yeah, and I give that kudos to our... um, non-American influence. So Middle Eastern, um, Indian, Asian influence is, I believe, where I call a big change in that. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I always, like in my head, when I never had heard about holistic, but was, you know, I like to read a lot as a kid, so I get read a lot. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, you know, we could get some of that and we don't get that. So um, that is going to, I think, going to increase even more. When my daughter was trying to ultimately decide between the acceptance that she got medical school versus the acceptance that she got from um, the old school, um, osteopathic medicine school, medicine school um, we talked about that. And what I told her about is that do the MD thing if you're going to do it. Do the MD thing, but just when you take your classes, your continuing education classes when you graduated. Mm-hmm. Always be sure to include holistic classes, you know, education informally in that way. That way you don't have some of the limitations that insurance and lobbyists are going to always put on the O's. Um, I've seen it because I'm an OD and we're very similar to ophthalmologists except for that we don't do surgery, but yet it's always a fight. They pay us less when they do MDs. Um, you know, that are doing the same exam and in some cases a quicker or less thorough exam. So, as if you have a choice, um, then it is probably better to do the MD so you don't have those limitations. But then, get your, you know, always sign up continuing education courses to hold it, so you'll still know those things. Okay. That's interesting. I wasn't even thinking about, you know, continuing education after, after everything's over. Um, but, yeah, that's important, too. Um, that's all I have. Do you have any, anything else you'd like to talk about or anything else? Um, I'm trying to think. No, okay. I guess in closing, I would just say that when I was seeing patients every 20 minutes, and even now, mm-hmm. um, one thing that I started doing maybe three years ago when I started getting really, really busy at the office um, was, and I think at the same time, I was going through a lot of personal um challenges, you know, with my family or with, you know, my kids were making decisions and they were worried about the decisions they were making and all those types of things for mm-hmm. the career. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and just carrying a lot of internal burdens. The thing that I came upon that helped me the most in patient care, I think, is to treat each patient with a good family. Mm-hmm. So when I look at you in the chair, I think of you as my daughter. When I look at your mom who's sitting beside you, I think of her as my sister. Um, if your father's out in the waiting room or your grandfather's out in the way, I think of them as my father or my grandfather. Because then, after Sorry, you broke up a little at the end. There was a moment in the middle where it it was kind of fuzz. It was fuzzy, but then you came back. Okay, so you got the point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Uh, that's that's sort of the end of that. So. All right. So you definitely got the part about just your brother, brother thing, right? Yeah. I got that. Okay. That's important for nothing. Right. Okay. I want to ask you a question, and that is. I don't know if I ever said what I said about um, advice in terms of whether or not to go to medical school and stuff like that. Had I ever said that to you? Um, 